Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So thank you so much for for everything, really. Thank you so much for for all the downloads over the last little while. I really, really appreciate it. So this week's guest is Jack Kavanagh. Uh, Jack Kavanagh is a coach, a speaker, a pharmacist. He is the host of the Only Human Podcast. He has done a TED Talk. He has a. He's also the star and the the creator of a movie called Breaking Boundaries documentary, which is incredible. Everything changed for Jack in 2012 after uh, an accident, and this is something that Jack talks about. This is a very, 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 very heavy mindset episode about how to kind of showing up, how to kind of talk to yourself, um, about changing how you speak to yourself, the kind of the truth about happiness. Um, he talks about kind of motivation, the TED talk, the movie, meeting you two, uh, Cameron Diaz and Julia Roberts in LA. So Jack is incredible. And I think if you are looking for something to watch, I would head over to his website and watch the movie. Listen to his podcast as well. He's had some incredible guests. Um, so definitely find out more about Jack. Jack's, Jack. Jack's an awesome human being. So hope you guys enjoy the episode with Jack Kavanagh. Hey Jack, thank you so much for coming on. How are we? We are pretty good now. How are you getting on? Good man, good. Thank you so much for coming on. I think I heard yourself on your own podcast and I've, I've listened to that and I've listened to an interview you do with a former guest uh, with Shane Finn um, and I was just blown away and I was talking to someone else um, Adrian Allen who's been on the podcast and he, he kind of said just get Jack on just get Jack on um so it's it, I'm I'm very grateful for your time and stuff like that which is incredible so I'm gonna let you I did a brief introduction before we came on um but I don't think I'm gonna be able to do or give yourself the introduction that you deserve so I'm gonna get let you kind of introduce yourself what you're about um and talk about the the, the big thing that happened for yourself and that kind of like that kind of changed everything for yourself. So I'm going to give you the power of the microphone, Jack. Oh, well, thank you very much. And, and that's really kind of you. Um, you know, first of all, I'm delighted to be here. Um, and thank you for having me. I suppose the best way for me to describe why I do what I do is that a number of years ago, I found myself in this place and I'd come back from a challenging period in my life, which we'll get into in a minute, I've no doubt. And I had essentially come back from that and hit all of the societal expectations. I qualified as a health professional. I was moving in the direction of a good job. I was getting sort of acknowledged publicly for different things. And I just felt this sort of wave of quiet discontent it was like it started as a whisper and it came larger and larger and larger until i couldn't ignore it anymore and that whisper turned started turn turning into a roar and at the time i i really had to step back and and look at well what am i actually doing with my life what do i want to be doing i don't want to be spending my time and my energy and at the time i wrote down in started writing in my journal and um, this is what I wrote. I said, there is no right or wrong path, just a series of events that either gives us a flavor of what it is that sets our heart alight or dampens our soul. What I do know to be true is that in a world that is not always a smooth ride, 
and a life that is more disillusioned, disconnected, and full of people wearing masks than ever before. The bravest thing that any person can possibly do, despite the challenges they may face, is to bring their authentic selves to the world. And that that is when the magic will happen. So really what I'm about is creating environments where people feel less disillusioned, more connected to themselves and when where they have permission to lower their masks and show themselves. Um, I wrote that before COVID was a thing and we were all wearing masks all of the time. <laughs> um, but but really, um, I think it's probably more relevant now um, than it was two years ago when I wrote that. And so the work I do now is, look, I'm a qualified pharmacist. Um, I have a massive passion for uh, proactive health or, or positive health. Um, and I come at that from a holistic point of view. Um, I really think that our health and how we manage our lives, um, when we look at holistically from a mental, emotional, physical and, and spiritual place, it, it leads to a whole lot more balance um, in the way that we approach things. And that came about through studying and being part of essentially what I noticed gradually was a sick care system um, and through my own personal journey as well and so I suppose to pull even back a little bit further um, and give a bit more context of my story um, when I was coming through the teenage years like everybody else I was kind of pushing out against the limits of my comfort zone and as I did so, I pushed out against the limits of my parents and my teachers and my coaches. And it's a period where you go through a lot of questioning. And during those years, I questioned everything from my sense of myself and how I fit in. I questioned my body image. I questioned my religion. I questioned, um, you know, absolutely everything from all sorts of angles. It's time when you're coming to terms with like your sexuality and you're trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. You're thinking like, what will I do with the rest of my life? And luckily I had got some of the spaces that I needed to answer some of those questions. And I can remember my ultimate passions at the time being running and rugby. Um, but the biggest one was windsurfing and I, I had this just huge love of water sports of being in the water of of spending time in the waves and um and I felt completely in flow when I was on the water and so I became a windsurfing instructor and I'd spend my summers working as a lifeguard and as and as an instructor down the west of Ireland and I remember after my first year in college heading down the west and on one of the first days cycling off to the beach and it's one of these scenes that's just etched into my memory and as I arrived onto the beach totally by myself and walked down it the only footprints in the sand are my own and I sat down and looked back over the beach and the sun is gently setting as the waves break and it was just a moment where I caught myself smiling. And I think we've all been there at different times when you just catch yourself in the moment. And I realized that for the first time, I was kind of 
content or I was becoming comfortable with myself. And it was the first time that I could really remember that viscerally, um, that it just kind of consumed me that I'm in a really good place at the moment. I was happy with the people that were around me. I was excited about what I was doing. I was looking forward to what was to come. And I had absolutely no idea that only eight weeks later, my whole life would be turned upside down. And at the end of that summer, I went away on holidays with some of my best friends and we went to Portugal. And on the first day, I went up out for a run that morning with some of the lads and got back and went for lunch on the beach. And we we spent the afternoon on the beach and we said we'd go for one more swim. And as I'd done so many times that day and that summer, I ran down the beach. I dived into the water over a wave, not realizing just how shallow it was. And my head collided with the sandbank. And in that moment, I broke my neck. And in a moment like that, time slows down. And I was both completely aware of what had just happened and remarkably calm. You know, I couldn't move. I was face down. Couldn't move anything from my, my shoulders down. And my body had just gone limp. And it was almost like an, a little electric shock going from my core to my extremities. And, and then I lost control of my body. And in that moment, time slows down. And you start to see some of the things that are important to you. I was aware that I only had maybe 40 to 60 seconds of oxygen before I'd start to black out. And I saw in my mind's eye, my parents, my mom and dad, my two sisters uh, at home. I saw the dog, Poppy. I saw my mates on the beach and I wondered, would they get to me in time? And if not, if not, would they how would they deal with that and before too long my friend Stephen put his hand in under my shoulders and lifted me up and he said like what are you playing at and I said Steve look I I hit my head I think I've damaged my neck and I can't move and he got such a fright that he dropped me back into the water <laughs> um, and you know luckily I was taken from the water to the beach and uh, about an hour later I was stretchered away to the ambulance and driven to a helipad. And the following day I woke up in intensive care and I can remember gradually becoming aware of my surroundings, you know, counting the eight screws and the light fitting above my head, the metal cage around my head, becoming aware of that. It kind of made me look like Frankenstein almost like with two bolts going in against my temples to keep my head secure. I had tubes going down my nose and throat and, to keep me breathing and fed and like as I became aware of all of that I'm one of my best mates Gareth he'd pulled the short straw the first one to come and see me and I was greeted by this smiling but tear-filled face and it was in that moment that I couldn't speak but from somewhere I just mouthed the words it's going to be okay and I didn't really know what that meant at the time but that was my my instinct that was my response um maybe i was trying to be okay for the people around me but that was my initial response and you know mum and dad were on a flight over to portugal not sure what they'd encounter and my dad would ask the question 
or my mom would ask dad the question, why Jack, why would this happen to Jack? And dad soon responded by saying, well, but why not Jack? Why should this have happened to anybody else on the beach? And he was absolutely right. Um, because shit hits the fan for all of us in different ways of our, in different parts of our life. And the natural thing is to ask why me and it's kind of like a grieving process you know and it allows us to grieve in some way but at a certain point we we have to flip that question and start to say well why not me and when we ask that question some level of acceptance or acknowledgement of the reality that we're in happens and from there we can start to make more constructive decisions about what happens next and that was very much the process of the next couple of months and years. Uh, I was flown back to Ireland and the weeks afterwards back to intensive care. Uh, I nearly didn't make it, but I did. And eventually I find myself in the rehab in Dunleary. And the stark reality is that my first job was to lear- learn to breathe without the assistance of a ventilator. We take for granted just how easy it is to breathe in and out. And then I had to go on to learn to reuse the 15% muscle function that I had now reclaimed, which was my shoulders, my biceps and my wrists to become as physically independent as I could. And the physical challenge was huge, but like you're also going through the mental and emotional and spiritual piece. And by spiritual, I really mean like the question of like, who am I? What what am I about? What are the values that I believe in? Um, Those kind of things. And it was, it was a really challenging time and it was a lot of dark days, but there was also a, a lot of hope because I had a kind of fundamental decision to make around, well, was this going to be the end or was this going to be kind of a beginning and it was very much uh, a glass half full or half empty approach. And and luckily, more days than not, I chose to find the opportunity, to find the thing to be grateful for, to to focus on what I could control and how I was going to move forward. And, and it's certainly been an interesting number of years since then. There's an awful lot to break down in that and I think the one sentence that struck me in particular to the whole thing was what your dad said well why not Jack and I think I know when people are at the lowest form and we we're talking off air and stuff we can default into that why why always me or I like when I say it why always me the Balotelli pulling up the jersey comes into my head for some reason but we always kind of say to ourselves why me why me um but as you said you've I think we do take things for granted. We do take the fact that we can breathe, we can be healthy. We do take those kind of things for granted. And I think potentially right like now at the minute, we took other things for granted. But I think, like, I don't think anyone expect. like, I, I know like most people don't expect that kind of thing to happen to anyone, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's a rare thing to happen, but you've turned it into a positive in that you are now, using it as a way to help other people so potentially they don't go into those lower periods themselves and trying to talk and being being able to tell the story how have you kind of overcome those lower periods because 
as you said, there have been some lows and there have been ways for and days that you haven't felt like doing stuff. How do you talk yourself out of those kind of those days? Yeah, look, it's 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 really important to to consider these kind of things and and you know if I'm honest, in the early days, I didn't have a strategy. I I didn't know how to deal with such an overwhelming sense of grief you know like I all I could imagine was how much had been taken away you know and that's the why me piece like all I wanted for so long was to be back on the water to have the freedom to throw the root the board up on the roof and and to go to the west coast or or to see a storm forecast coming when everybody else would be battening down the hatches and i'd be heading off to the beach with a big smile on my face and um to head out windsurfing or whatever and all i could focus on was was what i'd lost and at a certain point um you come to understand that like that's a part of the grieving but it might not be serving you on an ongoing basis to stay in that place. And it's at that point when you kind of realize, wow, I actually, I'm at a point where I have a choice here. Um, that things can change dramatically. And so like there's periods when I was so low in such a dark place that for days at a time I couldn't speak or I couldn't make eye contact with people because I was scared that they would see even a glimpse of where I was. Um, and they say like the eyes are the port- portal to the soul. Well, I was certainly a restless soul at that point. And I just didn't want to make eye contact because I was scared for what people would see within me. Um, but the amazing thing is is and we spoke about this off air beforehand when you give yourself permission to feel those things when you understand that many of your feelings are uh, ephemeral in that they'll pass you know it's it's us clinging on to them and building stories around these emotional states that uh, makes them uh, perpetuate or stay around um, like the science would show that emotional states will pass within 90 seconds if we just notice that we're experiencing emotion and let us fl- let it flow through us. It's when we start attaching it to the circumstances and, and all of these different things that it, it stays around that bit longer. And so if we can, and, and this was something that I had to learn, but to give myself permission to feel, and to really embrace those emotions, whether they were good or bad or, or challenging or upsetting or exciting or whatever, and just to allow them to be. And those feelings give you feedback and that gives you choices. Whereas for so long, I was judging myself and rather than being curious, I was judging myself and rather than trying to understand, I was saying that those feelings weren't okay and I was numbing myself to them. And that didn't serve me and it certainly didn't give me any choices that were going to be empowering or helpful going forward. And so I think like when you say, how do you deal with those times? I think it's allowing yourself to actually be where you are 
rather than where you hoped you would be or you thought you would be or the plan was to be or all of those different things but actually to embrace where you are the reality of that situation to feel the feelings fully and to allow them pass through and not to judge them just to notice them and then you get the choice of well what am I going to do with that and at the moment of choice we often don't feel like taking that next step. Uh, it's a scary thing to do. And yet it's this, the next step or the small thing that we do in terms of the decision that we'll make that brings us to a different place in terms of our mood and it changes our reality. These are the basic things of, of like, how do you get to the gym when you don't feel like it? Well, you acknowledge that you don't feel like it and then you decide that I actually have greater control over myself than that and I know that mood follows action so when I move my body and go to the gym or or get out for a walk or I do some breathing exercises that actually I'll be the better for it and that's one example but in those early days I didn't make the choice of how I would respond once. It was noticing how I felt and then choosing how I would respond again and again and again. And every time I faced a hurdle each day, because the reality was like leaving rehab, where I was at in terms of what I could do was I could just about feed myself and brush my teeth. I could push my chair around inside hopefully there wasn't carpet to slow me down and that was about the extent of functionality that I had and so everything that I faced in my day was a challenge and brought up all sorts of emotional states and pulled me back to the past and led me to to hopes and fears for the future and all of that took me away from feeling what I was feeling in the moment and deciding what was going to happen next because it was only what happened next and the choice that I made around that that would dictate what would come in the future um, either for the positive or negative I hope some of that makes sense a lot of it makes a lot of sense it is about doing things over time and kind of showing up more often than not showing up that is going to stand to you in any way any journey that is is battling or is kind of potentially crippling someone as well in mentally or physically is that it is about trying to turn some sort of negative into into a positive and i think when you were talking about your story there about kind of like the the kind of the quote from man search for meaning about choosing your suffering kind of mm. came into my head and i think a lot of people like it's such a simple statement but it may not have simple application for a lot of people it's very hard for a lot of people to kind of get out of they, they think life is going to be rose tinted glasses and potentially a lot of people don't understand that sometimes they're going to be shit colored glasses or shit colored lenses and it's about trying to um just try to get through through those days as much as possible you're a huge advocate of mental health and we're talking off air and like you're doing incredible work you're, you're working with a lot of the charities and stuff like that and i know this is close to your heart and i know you wanted to kind of talk about this as well in relation to kind of helping people to kind of 
to kind of cope with what's going on and to try to help people with with their mental health so i'm going to let you talk about what what kind of stuff you're doing at the minute uh, and some of the the stats you were telling me um off air i'm still trying to f- comprehend them to be honest with you which, which is quite scary um so i'm gonna let you talk about that side of stuff yeah absolutely um so look i i don't think mental health exists in isolation by any means because it's our physical health our emotional health our our the the relationships we have the the diet that we have the extent to which we're in a safe environment the do we have a roof over our head you know like everything in our life situation influences um our mental health um on any one day i I like to to sort of liken mental or emotional health uh to to physical fitness um and to think about it as emotional or physical fitness and on a given day or week or month or year your physical fitness is on a spectrum of you know either uh, I am very fit at the moment, or I am unfit, or I am somewhere in between on that spectrum. And our mental health is the same way, you know, depending on our emotional health, depending on the sleep that you had last night, was the baby keeping you up? Did you have a, a challenging conversation at work or or something that you're feeling a little bit apprehensive about? Um, you know, all of these things are going to start to play into um, maybe ending up on the lower half of that spectrum of of mentally or, or emotionally not being very well regulated on a given day. Um, and on the flip side, like if you've slept well and you've gotten out for a walk and gotten some bright light early in the morning and and you're feeling hydrated and and excited about the day to come and you've got a good relationship and or you're going to connect with someone that you care about that day like all of those things are going to lead you to being in a slightly better place on that spectrum um the thing is is allowing ourselves to be where we are um on that spectrum and being okay with that so i think the biggest challenge um that that i've seen amongst people is the the sense of it's not okay to be where i am and that level of expectation that we place around where we're supposed to be and the comparison traps and so on have really detrimental uh, influences rather than recognizing where we are and, and moving with with choices that are going to be support for ourselves from that place. So that's kind of just context, first of all. Um, look, what's happening uh, around the world at the moment is, is kind of frightening um, from a mental health perspective. If we if we look, we're recording this in November. I know both of us are involved with Movember, and um, I'm giving it my best effort. We're just talking. We're just talking. We're talking off air about the fact that I'm going to need to get some some uh, um, shoe polish or something to to put on top of the bristle. <laughs> the few the few bristles that I have to make it fill out and look like I'm uh, I'm actually able to grow something. <laughs> But um, but like when we peel back and actually look at the bigger cause, uh, bigger cause that Movember is for, you know, sixty is a number that scares the shit out of me. 
because there's 60 men around the world that we lose on average every hour. That's one man a minute. That is absolutely frightening. Uh, at the moment in Ireland, in certain areas, we're losing on average one person below the age of 18 every two weeks. That's just in the below 18 category. You know, the thing is, is you matter. You matter and so does the person to the left and to the right of you. The person that you see smiling on the on the Instagram feed, you know, the person that you see struggling in their room by themselves and, and not wanting to come out. Every single person matters. And I think when we can instill in people the value that they have, the value that they have intrinsically, the potential that they have um, intrinsically and help them to take some actions on those things so that they can see their worth for themselves. These kind of things are so important in helping people from the challenging places that, that they find themselves in. But so important within all of that is helping people to become more skillful in in managing the states and places that we can find ourselves and understanding that it's normal you know then i think the positive thinking movement has done many people a disservice and it's made like the book titles all around the world are like 10 steps to a happy life and these kind of things um positive think your way to x y and z um happiness is an emotion or a state that we exist in very seldom you know we experience that state maybe one percent of the time to five percent of the time if we're lucky but the rest of the time, I think it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, there's times when we feel unmotivated and there's times when we feel restless or irritable or calm and mellow or or we feel irate or we feel upset or all of these kind of things are other emotions and when when and states that we exist in. And I think if we can normalize some of that and have kind of literacy around how it's okay to feel panicked or stressed or jittery or shocked or or tense. And it's also all right to be exhilarated and elated and enthusiastic or, or pleased with yourself or proud or happy. At the same time that sometimes we feel glum or down or apathetic or a bit miserable or lonely or isolated. And then there's other days when we're at ease or we feel secure or satisfied. We feel grateful we feel thoughtful, you know, maybe we're sleepy or feeling cozy. Um, like if we can start to build um, build literacy around our emotional states um, and how they play into our mental health and the thoughts that we're thinking and give people language to place on these things rather than just, oh, I'm fine or I'm good or I'm grand. Like that doesn't tell anybody anything. Other, that you're, other than you're not in touch with where you're at. Um, and so normalizing that we have like this huge spectrum uh, of, of states and emotions that we exist in, 
that their feedback um that we can either listen to ourselves and the thoughts that are going around our head and notice them and then actually start talking to ourselves and say you know what like there's a voice inside my head just like there's a voice inside yours and sometimes it's not very nice to it's uh, to, to 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 me and a lot of the time over the last couple of weeks it's not been very supportive of me and i noticed that and I try to catch it and switch the narrative. And the thing is, is we can actually notice that the narrative inside our minds isn't great and start flipping it. And, and like we, so we can start actually talking to ourselves in a more supportive, uh, compassionate, empathetic way. Um, and when we start to tune in and listen to ourselves, we can do that more in a more skillful way for other people. Um, we can listen to understand rather than to respond we can listen deeply and when we ask how are you follow it up by how are you really and actually create the space to engage on that level you know these kind of things are important we don't have to have the answers if someone tells us that they're really struggling at the moment or by virtue by the flip side that things are going really well for them at the moment and and we're excited sometimes we're afraid to say that because we think that will intimidate people nearly and in ireland we had a great habit of cutting people down when they're doing well so like it's about normalizing the expectations of of where we should be that we should experience happiness all the time that the filter um filtered life that we see online is the norm which is not and to actually allow people permission to be where they are and to make new choices about how they're going to regulate their emotions their mental chatter what they're going to do to support their body on a given day and all of those things start to feed in together to move us to a more empowered place where we're supporting ourselves and you've heard me use the word skillfully or skillful a couple of times these are skills that we build the the way in which we check in with ourselves do we create a little bit of time to check in with ourselves in the same way that we check in with all the people that we follow online um and to see actually where we're at and to be honest with ourselves and to be okay with that and then to make choices that will hopefully be more supportive of us going forward because at the moment there are so many people that are feeling isolated and lonely and i'm one of them um that are feeling a little bit lost because of the fact that the relationships and communities that are important in terms of supporting us have been removed or or at least we're a bit more distant from them you know that some of the sense of purpose that we've had in our days and um, even if it's just going out for lunch or for a coffee and meeting people those kind of things really stack up over time and um lead us to having unpleasant um emotions and thought patterns and that that's okay actually and um, that you're not alone in that and when we can start to add some of that framing for people that what they're experiencing is a totally natural response to the circumstances we're going through all these things build more context and and allow people to realize oh yeah like i am i, I am in crazy i am just an, uh, a person that that is uh, um sort of interpreting an imperfect reality at the moment 
And you know what? In a shorter period of time than I might expect, this will get better. Like this isn't permanent and that's okay. Um, and there's some people out there that are having an absolutely great time. They're more introverted by nature. They're loving the space uh, and so on. And that, that's okay as well. Um, so at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work um, around helping people develop some of this literacy and helping them to develop some of the skills that they might need and spaces that they need to express and to check in and um, and to explore what's going on in their lives and uh, how they're going to respond to that. And that's a little bit about that. Like that's like I was scribbling like a lunatic with some of the lines that you were saying there. Um, I really like the idea of saying like, how are you? And then how are you really? I think to, especially in Ireland, we are amazing for just using the grand word when we're describing how we're feeling rather than kind of actually saying, no, I'm actually not okay. Or feeling a little bit like lonely or feeling a little bit tired, feeling a little bit lethargic rather than putting a broad sweeping statement on it. It's, it is important to kind of narrow down. I think a lot of people feel when they kind of met, may feel they don't want to speak for everyone that when they are talking to people they don't want to be seen as like a burden or a a person who is negative all the time when they are around others but that's also trying to read other people's minds about how you're how they're perceiving you you can't read people's minds though that you don't know how that other person is feeling that other person may be going through the same thing and have the same thoughts but then if you potentially are opening up about how you're actually truly feeling that might help that person be saying right okay this is actually okay to talk about this and kind of reduce that unfortunate stigma that is out there particularly for men's mental health i think women are do struggle as well 100 percent um and it's not a game of men v women or anything like that lads do not like to talk about their feelings because they they think it could be perceived as being less manly or being exactly weak is the word there and i think it is changing there are a lot more avenues out there i still think there's an awful lot of wiggle room for funding education because there are slogans that are being used out there that i don't think are doing enough because i think they're too broad they're not actually like you said the how are you how are you really i think that's a better campaign title for some of the campaigns that are out there but that's a completely different topic but you you know i I might just chime in there as well because like the incredible thing is okay the, the, the scary reality is that if we look at the death by suicide stats that the rate is four four to one for men to women and and look any person is one too many um but normalizing this conversation for for men um is really really important as well um the thing is when we share where we're at when we allow someone into our world like this is how relationships are built you know, relationships aren't built off the, the, how are you doing? Oh, sure. I'm grand. And things are good. Yeah. All's well. I'm absolutely grand. Like we all know a person like that and you just know that you don't know them. Um, relationships are built by little traits of vulnerability, you know, and that happens in the smallest ways when we get to know people. How are you? Ah. Oh, 
not great. The car broke down today and I'm stressed. I have to get to work and like the kids school and, you know, I feel closer to that person now. They've let me into their world. Um, the thing is, is at different points, like, and, and we build from there, you know, there are little trades of vulnerability that allow us to connect with people. When, and, and that's a very sort of minor example, but when I meet someone and, and, and that, that I have a relationship with and I say, look, um, Stephen, how are you? And you say, do you know what, Jack? Well, I, I'd prefer if I didn't have to tell you this, but like, to be honest today, I'm feeling really low. Um, I haven't been sleeping well and my mind is going nuts. Like even already, I can imagine within the listener that um, their mirror neurons have been fired off, which uh, creates a level of empathy um, by, by listening and saying something like, Oh, Stephen, thanks. Thanks for letting me in and telling me that, you know, I don't know what the answers might be, but like, what do you think you could do about that? Uh, is there anything that you think would be helpful? Like, we don't have the, have the answers, but you're being supportive. And when you add empathy um, with action or or supporting person, a person like that, um, that's known as compassion. Um when we're compassionate to ourselves, it's recognizing where we're at and then taking action based on that. Um, and it's the same with another person. And the action that you might take is just to put the question back on them. Like, what can I do to be helpful at the moment? Um, or thanks for letting me in. You know what? I'm actually, I've been having a hard time lately as well. Um, you know, all these kind of things are really important. And the cool thing is, is that when we let someone into our world, whether it's letting them in on something really good or something that uh, that is challenging for us at a given time, um, we actually activate um, and release oxytocin in our inner body. So oxytocin is, is a chemical that um, is released in really high doses when a mother is giving birth. Um, it is the the chemical that bonds us to other people. It is the chemical that makes us more uh, generous towards other people. It is the chemical that enhances a level of trust. And, you know, when I let you into my world, whether it's something great or something challenging that I'm experiencing, um, immediately you feel that you know more of me you're more inclined to feel that you have a relationship or that you're bonded with me. You're more inclined to trust me because this person is seen as being real or authentic in some way. And then the knock-on effect to that is that you'll be more generous. And by generous, I don't mean that you're going to go out and buy me something. I mean necessarily that you'll be willing to be supportive in some way. Um, so these kind of things, like there's there's real reasons why we've adapted this way. Like if we didn't adapt this way, human beings wouldn't have survived. And um, having the expectation that we're supposed to be strong all the time is not helpful because that's the thing that ultimately uh, leads us to feeling uh, vulnerable. 
Uh, the cool thing is, though, is that it's only in a place of feeling vulnerable or feeling a little bit weak or 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 something like that on a, at a given time that we can show strength and we can show courage and we can show bravery. And it's only from that place, um, even if you think about life as a heart rate monitor with the ups and downs, it's from that lower place, that lower place. Uh, uh, place on the heartbeat monitor that you can show strength or you can show courage or you can embrace hope or these kinds of things or you can reach out and and let someone in so that they can lend a hand down and help to pull you back up as well like all of these things are are built in and they're normal and they're really important to normalize and um, there was something else that was going through my mind there oh yeah i i used the analogy earlier that uh, health on the whole, whether it be mental, physical, emotional, exists on a spectrum. And on any given day, we can feel uh, like really well and be up on that spectrum or, or not so well and be lower on that, spec- on that spectrum. When things become, uh, and noticing that uh, if, it's a, if it's a bad time and taking sort of supportive action is great because the thing that um, that is challenging and becomes burdensome for us as individuals and, and often um, that then knocks on to others is when we have many days in a row that stay in the lower end of the spectrum. And that's when a sense of dis-ease turns to disease and that's when we get mental health challenges that's when we get periods um of of being depressed or or feeling pushed down in some way in life or or that's when in a physical state you know and we become unfit and it's it's a really interesting way of thinking about it because if i catch myself that oh you know a few days this week i didn't feel so good or my emotional regulation was really poor and i was short and sharp with people or i was closed off and i wasn't opening up and all of these kind of things when we notice those things um after a day or two or a couple of days we can catch ourselves before we spend too long there and a sense of dis-ease turns to disease in some way uh, so I hope that analogy is in some way helpful. I really like the heart rate monitor analogy. It's that like you do have to go through the lows in order to get back up to a high. Um, and you do learn lessons at those lower points that are going to bring you up to become a little bit more of what you want to become or make you grow as a person or bring you to where you want to go it is through those low times that like the only way is up um as cheesy as that sounds and i think that's i think i really, really like that analogy because i know for myself from being at those low points that it was that i wouldn't be doing what and we wouldn't be having this conversation if i hadn't have had that low point if you know what i mean so things do or and can get you're like they can go up they can they can increase but it's about, as you said, uh, it is about kind of like doing the small little things, even when you don't want to. Um, and there will be days you don't want to. And it's like anything. It's like going to the gym that you don't want to go to the gym. Um, and it's 
I know one of the things on one of the client check-ins yesterday, I asked them for like their small little goals for the week. And one of the clients put up that she was going to call a friend. And I was like, not enough people are doing that. Not enough people are saying, and kind of like some people feel a little bit awkward by just calling someone out of the blue. Yet we'll look at social media and look at other people's lives who aren't necessarily in our so-called inner circle. We'll give them our time rather than the people that are supposedly meant to be in our inner circle. And I thought when that when my client did that, I was like, that is incredible. That's such a small token, but that could make that person's low time or whatever they're going through that day or just be one of those times that they actually probably needed a chat and sometimes when you have your your friends or you're in a circle you can kind of almost not like mind read but you know when they're not being themselves they've gone a little bit quiet and i think it's really important to have that i think that's one of the things that you've you've had as well you've had an incredible group of friends you've had your incredible family around you as well i think that's super super important to not try and push people away which i think Mm. is easier said than done not pushing people away because if you're feeling not yourself if you're not feeling up to talking to people it's so easy just to retreat and become a recluse and i've been there but i think it's so so important that you know in the long run that even trying to even meet up for a social distance walk or ring someone or text someone or just have a normal chat with someone that will stand to you more. You'll get those, the hormones that you were talking about release. You'll get the endorphins, the happy hormones released and you'll feel you, you may feel like it won't, may not take one conversation and, it's, and it, it may take a couple of conversations in order to kind of not bring you out of that kind of place that you're at. But it's about doing, as you said, the small wins uh, along the way. So I think there's so much there in what you've said about the happiness and the right mon- heart rate monitors and the the whole story of like sentence of how are you really? And I think that is basically the the episode in a nutshell. But there's you've done like I I gave you a brief intro at the beginning. Like it's mad what you've what you've done. You've done a TED talk um you've got a movie on amazon um how did the ted talk and the movie come about yeah um great questions and actually can i just circle back just for a minute to the heart rate monitor analogy um because um just for a second, if people imagine a heart rate monitor and, you know, so often in our lives we have a goal and we there's something that we want to achieve and we think, wouldn't it be wonderful if I went like in a straight line and my plan came came off perfectly and I got to point B? Well, if you think about like moving in a straight line from one side of the heart rate monitor to the other, like the game is over, you're dead. Um, and, and so really the thing that reminds us that we're alive uh is the heartbeat it's the ups and downs and it's like without knowing what it is to be low we don't know what it is to be to be high without knowing what it is to feel lost we don't know what it is to feel like crystal clear without um having a challenge we don't know what it is to have victory you know all of these things like they're 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 opposites on the same part of life and like these things are natural um so so there are things that give us perspective and remind us that we're alive so just remember um no matter where you are on the heart rate monitor whether you're up or down or on your way up or down at the moment um or on your way back to baseline that um that they're the things that remind you that you're alive um but 
you you asked about um, the TED talk and the documentary um, breaking boundaries. So to be honest, like I was a reluctant um, uh, participant of the TED talk. It was at a time when I was really struggling myself um, in the months beforehand. And when it, some, somebody had asked me to make an application and I really, really didn't want to. And, you know, they kept coming back and back and back. And eventually they just turned up on my door, at my, at my door one day and said, I'm not leaving the house until you make an application. And that turned out to be incredibly valuable. Now, <laughs> on the day that I actually went to do the TED Talk, I nearly didn't do it. And I'm so happy that, you know, someone, I was in college at the time, someone came to my apartment and I was having a low day. I was doubting that my capacity to pull it off. And um, like dad just arrived to pick me up and bring me there. And he said, come on, get in the shower, shake yourself off. Like this, this is like, you're, you're, you're totally capable of this. Um, and the thing that the, the person that encouraged me to do it said is this isn't about you. Imagine what you'll be taking away from everybody that will listen to your talk if you don't do it. And so it became about other people, which was really cool. So the TED Talk is called Fearless Like a Child or Fearless Like a Child. And uh, that was really important. And um, the documentary came about through an interesting thing, I suppose. When I was in first year college, I lived with um, a group of guys in in that I was randomly allocated rooms with and we became really good friends. And on one of the last days in first year before we went away for the summer, um, our separate ways, I made a promise with Dave and we said, look, before we finish college, we'll go on a trip together and it'll be a story we can tell our grandkids um we went our separate ways for the summer and then i had the injury and it was only two years later that we remembered that promise now at the time i was watching all my friends go on j1s and i was feeling very much that i was on a different path um that was hard for me to see i had been told that for the rest of your life you'll need the assistance of two people to do everything and i was kind of at the point of fundamentally challenging everything that i'd been told i wouldn't be able to do um and the glass was very much becoming half full for me and i was choosing to embrace possibility and opportunity and optimism and uh, i call it optimistic realism like face reality but choose optimism um from that place and and we remembered the promise that we'd made to each other and that we would go traveling and we just said you know what let's make it happen and we decided that we'd do the stereotypical um west coast of america road trip and one day we were just sitting there planning and like the logistics were tough. I was going to need to bring someone to support me. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of money because we were students and so on. And I just sort of said like, you know, 
or no, I was doing a talk and someone said, what's your plan for the summer? And um, I said, I'm going to do this road trip. And they say, you know what? That would make a really brilliant movie. And they just planted the seed in my head. And I went and said it to Dave. And that day I went home and made a video on my laptop where I basically pitched the idea and put it up on GoFundMe. And the whole idea was like, we want to bring you on this journey with us. We want to share the journey. And all of a sudden money started to roll in and we were like, oh shit. Like now we need to actually do this. Um, so we ended up raising uh, enough money to, uh, higher equipment and to pay for the flights for a friend of ours who was a video in videography um he had a hobby interest i would say in videography to come along and it was just this uh we were complete sky boys like we were completely winging it um at the time but we came back with all this footage and uh it was a pretty incredible trip. Like mad things happened, like going VIP to U2 and meeting all the sort of LA celebrities to skydiving. Like who expects a guy with 15% muscle function to jump out of a plane? Like enough has gone wrong already. Um, and some of these kind of things happened. We did whitewater rafting, like loads of other things. But I think the beauty of the trip was that it was a group of friends going exploring together. And um, between the jigs and the reels, we came back. And a year later, that footage became the documentary Breaking Boundaries. And people can get it on my website. If you just Google me or go to jack Um it did really well in film festivals. And we took it down off Amazon Prime because um, we wanted to make it freely available to the public and so they can get access to it on my website. Um, so that documentary, Breaking Boundaries, was really, uh, it was aired on like primetime Irish TV and at the time it uh, got a lot of attention so it was a pretty cool thing to be able to do and you know more importantly than anything to go on a journey like that with your mates to to challenge the limitations of what of everything I suppose that you'd been told you would or wouldn't be able to do and really to come back and be able to share that and bring people along for the journey was just a very special thing. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about those, the TED Talk and the documentary. How did the U2 thing come about? <laughs> so this is a hilarious, like only in Ireland uh, sort of a thing. So my uncle is a vet and he happened to be the vet for uh, Bono's wife's parents. Um, and they just had a really good relationship. Um, and it led to, it led to me meeting Ali Hewson, who's Bono's wife. Um, and anyway, when we were going out to the US, we realized that you two were playing um, while we would be in, U in, in LA and we chanced our arm through that link, uh, that connection that we had and uh, it led to us getting VIP tickets and sure we 
we ended up backstage with like Pierce Brosnan, the whole YouTube um, band, uh, Cameron Diaz, Julia Roberts. Like it was a bit mad, to be honest. And um, um, I can attest that uh, Julia Roberts looks as good in real life um, and that uh, <laughs> that Cameron Diaz's cheekbone position is just as you see in the pictures. <laughs> that's, that's such an so, Irish, uh, such an Irish story. Like pet dogs, fishes, aunties. Like it's such an Irish story. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it ended up being pretty cool. Pretty cool link, and uh, what a way to kick off the trip. Yeah, you could only. Yeah, uh, that's some way to start off a trip. All right. Yeah, like that's that's mad. Um, how did you kind of? The last question is: How did you kind of? When you're doing the TED talk and stuff like that, obviously talking in public is for a lot of people is like is their crutch. It's like they just don't like doing it. And how have you gone from someone that potentially didn't really want to do the TED talk at the time or just was was scared of doing it, should I say? That's I'll rephrase that. Uh to going into corporates now, doing the charity work stuff that you're doing now. Um, and how does that all come about for yourself? So I, I said it earlier, the, the thing is, is, is you matter. And because you matter, your story matters. Uh, the way that we connect with other people, since we are cavemen and women, is through story. And when people can understand the value and the power in their story um, and share that in, in a way to let others in, there's a powerful thing in that. And so at a certain point, I realized that, look, I had done debating and I had done speech and language and a few things like that, that sort of gave me at least some level of competence, which feeds into a little bit of confidence. And I just said, like, this this isn't really about me. Um and the thing that was really important was not to make it about me. It was to make it, to make sure that every time that I got up and shared that I was speaking to fundamental human truths and that I was allowing the audience to see themselves within my story. And that's naturally what happens as someone shares, whether they're telling you about going down to get the loaf of bread in the local shop or they're telling you about the story of how their granny knitted this jumper for them or their you know the list goes on and on and on or that time that they managed to get in vip to you too and they couldn't believe their luck we go on that journey with them and it's the thing that bonds us that connects us and we've reflected back to our own lives um and so speaking and public speaking, regardless of what you're delivering, um, at its best is storytelling. And storytelling um, is the way that we connect with people. And that's why reading off a bunch of facts off a sheet is the least compelling way to engage an audience. It's why PowerPoint is, is disengaging. Um, but when we can bring those things to life by story, 
that's when people remember things. That's when we really engage with the group. That's when we allow people to see themselves within whatever it is that you're talking about. And it doesn't become about us. It becomes about everybody else, which is so important. I love that about not kind of like just looking at a PowerPoint slide and actually showing the human elements to everyone because you don't know what sentence or what you're going to say from any story that you're going to tell is how it's going to impact on someone. But if you're just reading a PowerPoint, you are literally just going to be reading off random facts that may not have actually. And I know myself from being at presentations through college or whatever, I didn't really pay attention to PowerPoints. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of when the the lecturer or whoever it was or when talks came into work or whatever it was and they actually acted like a human. I think that's when things resonated with you a little bit more and they had analogies along the way. And I think you have a unique way of telling a story, Jack. I, I will give you massive, massive credit on that. You you speak so eloquently. You speak with with your heart. You speak with someone who's gone through uh, an awful lot and someone who speaks with an awful lot of courage and you should, you're an absolute credit to yourself. You're an absolute credit to your friends and your family for, for what you've, you've, you've done and from what you're, you're trying to do as well, because we're talking off air about what you're doing as well. And from being self-employed, which is scary enough anyway, and particularly with what's going on. Um, so Jack, where can people find out about yourself on social media? Where can people kind of work with yourself on kind of the coaching and stuff like that? Uh, and I'll definitely put up a link to the documentary um, and the, the TED talk and stuff like that. So can people can, can, can go into the rabbit hole that is Jack Kavanaugh. <laughs> well, you're very kind. And I just want to say thank you. Like, Anybody that hosts a podcast like this um, does a huge service for for anybody else um, that might tune in. And, um, you know, you you win and I win. I I host podcasts as well every time that I get to have the insights of somebody else. And and so does the whole whole audience. So it's a big win win. so if people want to engage with my stuff, um, you can look me up. My handle on all the social medias is Jack Kavanagh, I-R-L for Ireland. Uh, it kind of reads like Jack Kavanagh girl, and I only realized yeah. a while back. Um, but uh, it's Jack Kavanagh, I-R-L. Uh, I'm not hiding anything, don't worry. Um, <laughs> the, um, the other place people can get me is on my website uh, jack-cavanagh.com just google my name and you'll get me and there you can get access to the documentary and and download it and, and view it from there um, the TED talk is viewable again just google my name and it'll come up um, and then finally uh, the place that, that I'm putting a lot of effort at the moment is into uh, the podcast and that's the only human podcast available on all the usual places um and via the links on my instagram and so on um if you want to work with me one-to-one if um you think a space to process and um to gain clarity and to feel sort of a level of connection with with yourself and to lower the mask a bit is something that would be valuable i absolutely am engaging with clients at the moment so uh, please just reach out dm me email me whatever way you want to get in touch and uh, we can we can speak about that i run groups as well um, and they come up periodically so um i'd be delighted 
to hear from you regardless of what it's about amazing guys i cannot thank jack enough for giving up so much of his time and being so honest and being so candid about his story uh jack is going places and we're both involved in november as well so guys please do make a donation this will be out kind of like toward like the last week of november so you've got like a week and stuff like that to, to donate as well so please do not do, donate to november hopefully jack has a little bit more uh in a week um on the on or two weeks in on his face and stuff like that for the for the mustache um <laughs> <laughs> we live in hope he may get a color and pencil or something like that to, to to grow but uh jack thank you so much for coming on um and and i i I wish you all the best in the future. And guys, if you've enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag us up on your story. It's it's an amazing story. Jack's an amazing uh, person. And I think the, the his story needs to be heard uh, because I think it just shows that you can overcome whatever challenges or life throws at you. And I think, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Stay well, everyone.